Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. the 171st edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a post corner across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, gentlemen? Um, I like the post corner route. That's uh, that's a good double move. That'll get you wide open. And uh, apparently some of the teams in our pop quiz uh, probably hit a few of those. So but I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, uh, we can't get started without the third amigo in the second city, a man who has army in his poll this week. It's our intrepid blogger from big 10 and counting Josh cook. Yeah. I crunched the numbers. I came on down to Appalachian state and army as the two most deserving teams out of my pool. And to be honest, army just has a, a better opponents winning percentage and the overall schedule and when you just look at the wins army also has a higher opponents win loss win percentage so army i I gave the nod to uh but appalachian state's knocked on the door but for that real ap poll heck of a story it's the first time the mountaineers have ever been ranked yeah um i I think you're splitting hairs there too i think both those squads are definitely deserving especially over some of the the power five teams that are a little bit lackluster but still getting in the ap poll just based on name recognition alone Oh, it's the it's the it's someone weighing in. I, I will say this. We'll talk about that game in a little bit, but in terms of the polls, uh, it's got to remember it's not who's had the one of the twenty five best games of the week. It's all about resume and Purdue still digging out in terms of being able to be ranked from that three game skid to start the season, especially the Eastern Michigan game probably the biggest mark on their resume. But uh, if they win their next game, East Lansing going against the Spartans, that'll certainly help them to get in the polls. And then obviously the week after that, they take on Iowa at home. So two great opportunities for Purdue to get ranked after uh, a game we might be talking about a little bit. All right. Well, uh, both Purdue and us here at Legal Motion uh, got off to a bad start on the season in terms of games. They Them on the field, us picking them. Uh, fortunately for the Boilers, they've turned it around. Guys, we have not. Another rough week for us. Josh, mm-hmm. I hate to break it to you, man. You were 1-5 last week. Um, coach, you and, I, you and I are both 2-4. and four. Our guest picker, my dear father, was also 2-4. and four. Uh, We were all on the wrong side of that Auburn uh, favored by four at Ole Miss and Northwestern favored by 20 and a half at Rutgers. They barely squeaked by the Scarlet Knights. I had Buffalo covering Toledo. Both Coach and Fred had Nebraska over Minnesota minus four. And Josh, Fred, and myself all had Marshall covering uh, that four-point spread at home over FAU. So before we get into some of the big games, though, guys, uh, let's hit some quick slants. Josh, I'll throw it out to you first. Yeah, my first one is just talking about some of the craziness in the Big Ten in terms of the weather. Uh, Indiana almost came all the way back against Penn State 
in a crazy whipping wind. It was so bad they had to have all the pylons just laying on the side. They couldn't keep them up. That was pretty crazy. Iowa shut out Maryland in what was also a windy game. It was a pretty consistent about 25 to 30 mile an hour wind with gusts blowing up to 40. So some of you might have seen the score and go, oh, well, Iowa didn't really do much offensively or, or seen Nate Stanley's line. There was nothing that they could do. It was crazy wind. And then by far the weirdest weather of the weekend had to have been that snow shower that hit Madison briefly. Uh, I I was just dumbfounded. It was sunny before. It then got snowy. And then it was beautiful sun again in the third quarter. That was crazy. You got all four seasons in Madison in that one game, which was was kind of fun, actually. I'm not going to lie. I kind of enjoyed it watching it on the TV. But, um, yeah, so, Coach, uh, what have you got for your first slam? Well, I'm going to take you around the SEC, some of the undercards, uh, because there were some interesting games um, lost in the SEC and lost in the shuffle because it was such a good slate of Pac-12 and Big Ten games. And then, of course, the LSU-Mississippi State game, which we'll talk about later. But uh, some of the undercard games were actually pretty good. Um, Auburn, they found themselves um, – in Oxford, they they were victorious, thirty-one to sixteen. Jatarvius Whitlow uh, had one hundred and seventy on the ground. Um, of course, uh, Auburn taking advantage of a few turnovers here, and uh, they just they just I don't know. They found success running the football, which is something that I've always said um, every time I talk about Auburn that Gus Malzahn's offenses need to be able to do. Uh, they finally did that. Whitlow is proving he's getting better each and every game. And, uh, yeah, it was it was something to behold. Uh, Jordan Tiamu was 27-46 for 324 in that loss. Um, so that was good um, as far as numbers go. Obviously, it's not good in the win-loss column. But um, Auburn's defense showed back up. They were able to slow down what was a red-hot Ole Miss offense. And uh, – so, good game there by the Auburn Tigers. Uh, Vanderbilt going on the road, giving Kentucky everything they can handle, but poor Vanderbilt, 0-4 in the conference, just can't seem to quit tripping over their own feet in these type of games. Uh, Benny Snell, of course, 32 carries, 169 yards, and a score. Um, Kyle Shermer had a had a had a okay night 15 of 23 for 216 in the touchdown uh what and, and what looked to be a very just kind of an up and down slugfest type game it wasn't a it wasn't real sloppy i would say it was just a lot of just tough yardage and teams just trying to find themselves there so uh, another good game there um surprisingly um Missouri ran it up 65-33 over Memphis. Drew Locke, 350 and four touchdowns, had himself a day. Um, Larry Roundtree, the third, had nine carries for 118. He scored three touchdowns himself. Um, so that was a big day for uh, if you're a Missouri Tiger. Uh, so the uh, the home Tigers beat the road Tigers in that contest. A uh, team that was surprisingly competitive, Um uh, and when I say competitive, uh, the score doesn't re- necessarily reflect some of the good things that Tennessee did in this game. Um, the story of this game and the reason why it was 58-21, uh, Jeremy Pruitt said it best, the only way we can slow down uh, Alabama 
is to go through a couple of recruiting cycles, uh, meaning that they just do not have the players. He went on this big, long, I wouldn't say rant, but he had this big, long quote that was talking about how, you know, he's got guys that can't even look over to the sideline for signals. They don't know what to do. We just don't have the horses to compete with Alabama right now, uh, but we're going to play hard and we're going to give you everything we got. Um, Tua Tungvaloa uh, was banged up coming into this game. Had another brilliant game, 19 of 29, 306 and four touchdowns. Uh, Josh Jacobs was the leading rusher with 12 carries, 68 yards and two touchdowns. And, uh, you know, just a, just an overall another another ho-hum big day for Alabama. So um, is anybody going to challenge him? I don't know. Yeah, what's Tua up to? 25 touchdowns and zero picks, I think? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get you his... It's I'll get pretty, you his official numbers here. Uh, yeah, it's pretty absurd. Um, yeah, 25, 25 and zero. He's he's over two thousand yards now. He's completing seventy percent of his passes. It's just not fair that Alabama actually has a quarterback now. I know his career, his career uh, TD to his career ratio is thirty six and two. I'm surprised he has two. Yeah, he threw one in the national championship game. That's right. To DeAndre Baker. Um, but yeah, so that that was kind of the. Uh, I think there might have been one other game. I'm not sure, uh, but we need to move on. Yeah, we definitely need to move on. Uh, for my first slant here, guys, I wanted to quickly go over a couple Pac-12 games that we won't be getting into into deep roots. Um, but don't look now. UCLA is on a two-game winning streak after their 31-30 win over Arizona at home. Wilton Spate, former Wolverine, stepped in for an injured Dorian Thompson-Robinson, threw two touchdowns, no picks. Joshua Kelly topped the century mark for the fourth straight game on the ground for the Bruins. Uh, in his first collegiate start, Wildcat quarterback Rhett Rodriguez, a.k.a. Rhett Rod, uh, he put up some pretty pedestrian numbers, 15 for 34, two touchdowns, two picks, against what had been a relatively porous UCLA defense. However, the Bruins were able to force some timely turnovers and hold on in the end. Elsewhere, Utah's offense finally showed up against a banged-up Trojan squad en route to a 41-28 win. Tyler Hunley had by far his best game of the season. He went 22 of 29 for 341 yards and four scores to go along with a rushing touchdown. And the Utes rolled up more than 540 total yards of offense, and they managed to hold USC to just over 200. JT Daniels got injured, and Matt Fink had to take the reins in the second half. But frankly, it did not matter who was playing quarterback for USC. The Trojans' defense was outstanding all game. 28 points is a little bit deceiving. Seven of those came off of a fumble return for a touchdown, and two of USC's three other touchdown drives all started in Utah territory. At this point, the Pac-12 South might be the most confusing division in all of college football. Every team has at least two conference losses. And, guys, I'm beginning to sound like a broken record, but I picked Utah at the beginning of the season, and I'm still feeling pretty good about it. So, Josh, uh, what have you got for your second slam? All right. Well, I've got a quad of teams that had statement wins. I'm going to start in the MAC with Buffalo. Uh, They had a downright stinky first half, a lot of turnovers in their first half. Went in the locker room down 17 to, to 7 at Toledo. Not an easy place to win there. In the Mac. Yeah, they, they came out angry. They shut out the Rockets in the second half. They dominated the game once all the stats were in. 32 first downs to 8 
eight of 20 on third, held the Rockets to one of 12, uh, had almost 200 more yards than the Rockets. Uh, really, really impressive, impressive day for the Bulls. Uh, they sit now at seven and one and are undefeated in the MAC, although the MAC has some interesting teams because out west, Western Michigan, believe it or not, is also undefeated in conference, as is Northern Illinois. So a very intriguing uh, race towards the title game coming, but the Bulls got a big statement win for their push. Uh, Down there in Conference USA, I think this was the only game I got right in our spread formations, but Marshall took it to Florida Atlantic 31-7, to and Marshall did it with some amazing defense, five takeaways as they won the turnover margin five to naught. Uh, that helps you out when you get out gained and you don't have much of a passing attack, but thundering hurt, beautiful defensive day. Uh, speaking about defense, the UAB Blazers, they have statistically a really good defense, but we didn't know how good it would look against Mason Fine, that North Texas mean green, but the Blazers had no problem winning at home in Birmingham. Uh, they now control their own destiny as they have tiebreakers over North Texas and Louisiana Tech, the two presumptive best teams inside that division. So uh, maybe don't do it in pen, but I feel like in pencil you can put UAB in the Conference USA title game. Uh, Blazers are a very workmanlike team. They play that good defense. Their offense kind of does just enough. But against North Texas, they held the ball for 11 more minutes. That was the big difference maker. And then finally, a statement win from a Power 5 conference. How about Virginia going down to Duke? The Blue Devils are banged up, but a solid team. And Virginia doubled them up 28-14, held the Blue Devils to just 58 rushing yards on the day. That nasty who defense had two takeaways. And again, time of possession helping these teams out. Virginia held the ball for... 13 more minutes than the Blue Devils. Well done by all those teams. Absolutely. Coach, you got uh, anything else for us for a quick slam? Uh, just one really quick thing. Uh, a game that I really kind of enjoyed watching for a little while uh, was the Oklahoma TCU game. Um, for TCU, they uh, they have replaced their quarterback. Um, that would be uh, just Drew Sean Robinson. Sean Robinson, yes. He, he is out. And uh, I, bl- I was, was, was he injured? Was he? Uh, did he? Did they change him because of injury or because of bad play? No, they just He's they a turnover just, man. Yeah, they just they replaced him as an ineffective starter. Yeah, Michael Collins comes in. God, I couldn't think of his name for the life of me. It was Collins. <laughs> I was gonna say Tom Collins, but yeah, that's, that's, only, really that's good, only Collins I know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good gin drink. But we got Phil uh, Collins. Yeah, Phil yeah. Collins and Tom Collins. Chris uh, Collinsworth. Yeah, we got, you guys you guys are right there in Nashville and you're forgetting former Tennessee Titan great quarterback. Kerry Collins. <laughs> well done. Um so yeah, uh yeah, Michael Collins comes in. Uh it's twenty eight seven at this point. Uh replace ineffective starter Sean Robinson. Um and they go on to close the gap. It was twenty eight twenty four at halftime. TCU comes out. And then Oklahoma just comes back out and says, wait a minute, no, 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 no. And they ran up a total of 52 points. Uh, It was a really, really nice game uh, in which TCU 
I got a phone call. Um, they uh, they returned a ninety. They returned a kickoff ninety nine yards. So it's good to see a, a game that featured a special teams touchdown. Because uh, was that Cavante Turpin? That was Cavante Turpin. <laughs> of course it was. Okay, <laughs> my uh, my uh, gratuitous Cavante Turpin reference uh, checked off for the episode. There you go. Hey, get that little checklist. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it was uh, it was a fun game to watch. Kyler Murray was uh, he was solid again. Um, they piled up a ton of yards as well as points. Uh, the defense did their part. Kenneth Murray um, was all over the place. Uh, he had 11 tackles. Uh, felt like he had uh, 1,100 tackles. Felt like he made every tackle in the game. I just kept seeing him. Uh, Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon both had 100-yard rushing games. They both chipped in with scores. Um, TCU's offense, which is normally pretty explosive, was held to only 275 yards and two offensive touchdowns. Um, in that stretch, so um, the Sooners just needed that one really bad, really bad because it was uh, their 18th. They have won their 18th consecutive true road game, um, and never trailing after touchdowns on each of their first four drives, whatever that stat means. Um, they just needed that bounce back win. Um, you know, with what happened at the uh, at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, last week, they, that was that was something that the uh, that the doctor ordered for the Sooners. So I was, you know, not necessarily an Oklahoma fan, but uh, for their sake, it was good uh, for for. I think it's fair to say, coach, that you're a Lincoln Riley fan. Yeah, I'm a Lincoln Riley fan. I, w- I wish he coached somewhere else, but uh, <laughs> you know, I got a question. I think a lot of the Big Twelve wishes he coached somewhere else too. True. I, I got a question about TCU going forward. The loss drops them to three and four. Mm-hmm. Look at their schedule. They got at Kansas, Kansas State, and at Baylor as their three most advantageous games on paper. Um, but when you're playing as sloppy as TCU has, there's a chance they don't make a bowl game. Uh, we, we've seen seen this coaching staff kind of reinvent themselves uh, after down seasons. What, what are the Frogs going to do to reinvent themselves after what's turning into a pretty – poor campaign for their lofty standards. They well, need to get um, back to playing defense. Yeah, I mean, let's and let's see what happens with this quarterback change. Maybe Michael Collins is the spark they need, somebody that's going to take care of the football. And, again, just get back to what Gary Patterson teams do best, and that's defense. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a little bit since they had a really strong defensive unit, I feel. And it's a little disappointing, I got, I, I got to think, if you are a Horn Frog, because, you know, Gary Patterson made his hay as uh, both a coordinator and head coach on the strength of his defenses. And this team is just not, you know, the teams of the last couple of years have really not lived up to the standard that he has set for that program. So, yeah, I'm with you there. Anyhow, um, I want to hit then my final slant and just talk about uh, one uh, of the three previously undefeated teams to lose this weekend. That was the upstart Cincinnati Bearcats, who lost in overtime to Temple 24-17. to Particularly rough game for Cincinnati's kicker, Cole Smith. He was one for four on field goal attempts. He came into the he came into the game having only attempted three on the entire season beforehand. And I guess we kind of see why now. Temple quarterback Anthony Russo 
also uh, had a very up and down game. He was 20 for 41 for 237 yards and three scores, but also had three picks. Uh, but the Owls should be feeling pretty good about themselves right now, but they need to refocus pretty quickly. They have the American Conference murderers row over the next three weeks at UCF, at Houston, and then finally home for South Florida. I was that, waiting for the sarcasm when uh, when you said murderers row. I was waiting for you to say UConn. No, no, that's their final game of the year. Uh, it, <laughs> assuming they lose these next three, they they'll have to beat UConn, which is not very difficult uh, to gain bowl eligibility. But still, those those three games could leave them pretty demoralized. I imagine if uh, they do end up taking uh, some sort of shellacking in in those ones, because you know, as as good as their defense looked against Cincinnati and especially um, in stopping uh, Cincinnati's quarterback. It's, it's not the same when you're going against Mackenzie Milton. So, all right, gents. Well, before we hit the deep roots, time for a pop quiz. Get out. Actually, uh, I forgot to do a questionable coaching. Do we have time to squeeze that in real quick? We always have time for questionable Ah. coaching. All right, coach. Here's mine. It's from the Iowa game. Uh, Talked about it already in one of the slants, swirling wind, terrible conditions, uh, Maryland has a really good running back, Ty Johnson. Uh, he's averaged, uh, let's see, for his career, he is at like over seven yards a carry for his career. Yeah, I think he's about 7.2, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, what is the rationale of him not having a single carry in the first half and ending the game with just four? Uh, to be honest with you, I can't really, can't really explain that because I don't know why these like terrible conditions. It's perfect to to run a back uh, that's been averaging seven yards a carry. Um, I mean, I, I guess this is one of those cases where he just kind of outthought himself. Maybe he just overthought it. This is the only expo- only rational explanation. Who did Matt Canada? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, he's averaging seven point six for his career, seven point eight on the season. It's I, I don't understand that either. And now, were they running Josh? Now I did not watch the Iowa Maryland game. Were they running the ball with different players or something? Were they just trying to pass against Iowa's defense? What was what was going on there? Well, they're going three and out every time, so they don't have a ton of plays. They attempted sixteen passes, uh, completed six of them. They ran it 23 times for 68 yards. 39 total um, plays. Um, yeah, 115 yards total. Um, their leading rusher in terms of touches was um, Anthony McFarland, a freshman mm-hmm. who has played a fair amount this year. Yeah, and he was a pretty um, he was a pretty highly touted recruit coming out of high yeah. school. I mean, he was a four-star guy coming out of high school, but yeah. Johnson's been a bell cow for them for a couple of years. I mean, he had a 1000-yard yeah. season back when he was a sophomore. Uh yeah. even last year, you know, even in, in a quote-unquote down year, still ran for 875 yards on six and a half yards per carry. Yeah. Um uh, it was just bizarre to see as an Iowa fan who who follows the Big 10 for the blog obviously. I I was a little worried. I, I just sort of assumed Ty Johnson would go all over the place and Maryland would get them the ball a lot. And as the game went on, I was like, well, shoot, this this is fine with me for them to not give him a touch. Well, 
for the pop quiz today, guys, uh, I, I will say that uh, Maryland in this game uh, was not an answer to what I'm about to ask you. Uh, gentlemen, uh, we saw, even though in the Iowa game, not a whole lot of offense there, there have been some games that have put up a huge numbers of total offense. So what I'm asking you for, gentlemen, are the 12 teams, this, sorry, the 13 teams this season that have put, put up 650 yards or more in a single game against an FBS opponent. If they included FCS opponents, this list would get way too long. It pretty much doubles. But there are 13 teams that have put up 650 yards against an FBS opponent. Uh, Josh, you are up first. Well, the first team I could think of was the team that I have currently number two in my polls, and they've won 20 straight, and that's the Central Florida Knights. Uh, Central Florida, yes, uh, they put up 652 yards against UConn. That is going to be a continuing <laughs> theme uh, yeah. of, of this of this podcast. They did that on uh, back on August 30th. Ooh. Coach, all right. Um, I'm going to have to say uh, Ohio State against Oregon State. That would be an excellent guess. 721 yards for Ohio Ooh. State against Oregon State. Well done, Coach. That was actually second on my on my little list here. So I'll skip right over Ohio State, go to my third team, which was uh, way back. I believe it was opening day that they did this. But the, uh, the Sooners put up a boatload of yards on Florida Atlantic. Oklahoma against Florida Atlantic. Yes, they put up exactly 650. They are the cutoff. They are the last team to make it. Hmm. They might have even done it a few other times, potentially. Uh, no, that's the only time they that's, put up. That's the only – oh, wow. Yeah, on, on this season. Coach. So um, I can safely strike Rutgers <laughs> in Kansas. I can strike oh, – Actually, Kansas um, might have done it against Rutgers. <laughs> oh, they did not, uh, but that's not a bad thought. <laughs> all right, so sticking with the UConn theme here, uh, I'm going to go with their other, the other big time uh, AAC opponent, and that would be the Memphis Tigres. Uh, Memphis has done it, so you will get credit, but they did not do it against UConn. Oh, wow. They did it against Georgia State. All right. Um, they also did it against. Uh, this doesn't count, but they, 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 Memphis put up 752 over Mercer. Mm. All right. Well, good start, was, guys. You're both uh, you're both uh, off to two and zero starts. Well, I was really excited for that Clemson NC State game. It didn't quite go as planned, but during the telecast, they kept alluding to the fact that last week Clemson had their biggest ACC win in school history, and they dropped 63 on Wake Forest to win 63 to three. And they mentioned that they had, I believe this was also a Clemson ACC record, 470-some rushing yards. And so as a result, I'm going to assume that they managed to get just enough passing yards to hit that cutoff because they, they talked about it quite a bit. And when we recap that game, you'll understand why the announcers were meandering talking about other games. Yeah, uh, they put up 698 against Wake Forest uh, two weeks ago. Well done, Coach. Oh my God, uh, <laughs> you you went on so long. I forgot who you were saying. I forgot who your guess was. My guess was Wake Forest. 
All right. Um, Boise Riley Skinner. Heck yeah. Boise State. Excellent choice, Coach. Uh, Boise State has put up the second most yards in a single game this season against none other than UConn. They put up 818 yards on September the 8th. Dang it. That was also on my list. Mm-hmm. All right. Three, that was three. also on my list. Time to cross that one off. All right. Well, uh, a little bit of reputation. Uh, I know that they've mixed things up a little bit lately, but uh, I'm using my memory to to say that the Texas Tech-Houston game was a shootout. Mm, and it was. Um, the Red Raiders came out on top of it. So they I think did. they might have hit that 650 mark. Yeah, they hit 704 against Houston. Ooh, that's well a number. Mm. Coach. That is a number. Nice job. Nice, 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 nice. Texas Tech. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna venture to say that. Ooh, uh, I'm drawing a blank here. I'm gonna venture to say that Alabama has done it at least once this year. Oh, not quite. Alabama's top mark on the season came against Arkansas, where they put up six thirty nine, just short. Oh. Coach, that's your first strike. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, I don't. I don't blame you, Coach. That was on my list. That was on my list. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so just going off of high point totals, because to have high points, you need to, you know, move the ball. It's the object of the sport. And uh, probably in the top five of high-scoring games, uh, Ole Miss dropped 70 on some Sunbelt team a month ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm going to assume that the Rebs managed to move the ball a little bit in that game. Yep. Ole Miss is the only team that appears on this list twice. Uh, they put up uh, 651 against Kent State a month mm. ago and 826 over UL Monroe, which is the number one mark in the country this season. Uh, speaking about gutty ways to lose a game to get and Kent State, you guys see how they lost – no, I think I read about this. Refresh my memory. Got a game tying point after in either overtime or like a second left in the game, and the 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 poor holder couldn't hang on to the the snap. Oh, that's rough. Well, speaking of that, did you see what happened um, in with one of the field goals that I mentioned in that Temple Cincinnati game? Uh, Cincinnati came out uh, the the kicker split the uprights from like 52 but the ref said this is after timeout and the ref said the they hadn't blown the whistle yet to like restart gameplay even though both teams were on the field lined up and like played it like it was a normal point then he went on to miss the re-kick mm. and that would have been the difference Cincinnati would have won a regulation if that had mm. counted yeah well since he had a lot going wrong for them they they also didn't stop temple late in the fourth quarter to tie the game so all right coach you're up oh i was hoping you guys would um uh, all right uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was hoping to stall um i i'm gonna, I'm gonna for my second strike i'm gonna go ahead and guess uh from the mountain west Hawaii. Ooh, Hawaii. Ooh, not a bad guess. Uh, they have not, but they are on the losing end of one of these games. Oh. They gave up over 650 against the team. Ooh. Oh. 
Well, that helps. Well, Josh? <laughs> that helps. Uh, this was not going to be on my list, but week zero, they had that crazy shootout with Colorado State. Was that the game you were alluding to, Matt? That is, in fact, the game I'm alluding to, Josh. Uh, Colorado State put up 653 over the Rainbow Warriors. That feels like a ripoff. You gave a lot of hints on that one. I, I just gave an opponent. I don't know. I don't think that's that much of a ripoff. But uh, for minds as great as mine and coaches, this is just true. that little sliver will will allow. It, 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 it opens up giant doors. Yeah. Um. I will say one of the one of the games, uh, probably the most surprising team on this list, took place this past weekend. Oh. Hmm. But uh, coach, you are up. You've got two strikes. You are down six to three. Okay. I mean, it would it would be impressive for Rutgers to lose eighteen fifteen and still put up six hundred and fifty yards. But it'd also be like the most Rutgers thing ever. <laughs> Did you see that they struggled again with a kickoff? Yep. Oh. Yep. Yep. That was actually kind of hilarious. Rutgers, what can you? All right. Um. Well. <laughs> well. Uh, there's some ball plays being going. All right. So for my third strike of the night, uh, because I'm completely out of guesses. Uh, I'm going to say the surprising one came from the Pac-12, and that was the Golden Bears. Ooh, wow. yeah, they put up a bunch of points, 49, I believe. Uh, they, I think they went 49-7 this weekend, but they are not uh, – they do not appear in on this list. So, sorry, Coach, you have struck out. Josh, any more guesses off the top of your head before I give you guys the rest of the answer? Uh, just just thinking about opponents that Connecticut's played, maybe Syracuse with Eric Dungy, uh, maybe maybe Mason Fine in North Texas before they hit conference play and things didn't go as well for them. Maybe Houston Cougars, they've got a pretty good offensive attack. And then um, Houston did it against an FCS team. They did it against okay. the Texas Southern. Um, and then uh, I'm thinking maybe uh, maybe Utah State. They have one hell of an offense. Maybe they've done it. Those were those were some of my deeper guesses. Yeah, that would have been. Those were nice. Uh, the other team to do against UConn was Cincinnati. Oh. Uh, okay. Back uh, September 29th, they put up 659. Teams you guys missed. Uh, UL Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns, actually have the third most yards in any game this season against New Mexico State. They would not have, would never have gotten seven fifty nine a week ago. No. Um, no, other teams that you guys uh, did not hit. Uh, uh, that would be you got you hit Memphis. You hit uh, oh Ohio from the MAC over UMass. Yeah, um, I never guessed that either. They put up six sixty four. Uh, when I think of Frank Solich teams, I think of defense. And uh, the final team. This is the one that surprised me. Nebraska put up 659 on Minnesota this past weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Josh, you even uh, recapped that game a little bit in your uh, uh, in, in your quick slant. Also, I want to say this is – I'm about to go on a P.J. Fleck rant for a second, so buckle in. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys saw – I don't know if you guys have seen for the coming week the jerseys that Minnesota is going to be wearing. They well, now I gotta now I gotta Google it. So they're putting uh, Minnesota on the back instead of the players' names. I hate that. Um, and do you know why they're they're doing that? Some of them don't know how to spell the name of their state. Well, that's that. Well, that's well. No, they should. I mean, the crowd chants it out all the time. <laughs> um, but 
Gold he's doing Gold. it, as he said, as a statement about not being bigger than the team. Now, he is doing this simultaneously while making the entire team wear stuff that has ores all over it to promote his own brand. So, kudos to you, PJ Fleck, for being the most hypocritical narcissist that we have in college football, and that is saying something. Oof. Yeah, so. I hate that. Ga- uh, Matt, you were at the Gallatin game, weren't you? We yes, played. I was. Yeah, they do that. Yep. I hate that. Station Camp did it for a long time. Uh, these are high schools for those of you listening. Yeah, these are these are these are Middle Tennessee high schools. But I mean, we we we've seen. I think it's one thing when the service academies do it. I don't mind it as much when they do it because I think that there's there's a different aura around football at service academies. Well, I mean, why don't you just take the names off and go blank? Yes, absolutely. Just go go Penn. Go do the you know the Penn State look. Do the Notre Dame look. You know, I'll tell you uh, like. Okay. I'll tell you one of the few times it's acceptable to do changing your names on the back. Uh, UAB Blazers, they've been getting a lot of love on that show. Uh, they put the names. The XFL? Um, no. he, I've got, I was literally just about to say he hate me. <laughs> uh, no, the UAB Blazer players, they put names of uh, kids who are fighting cancer on their jerseys. Oh, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, that's actually a perfect segue to the first game because if any of you watched – college game day and did not you know get a little dusty about the story of the Purdue student fighting bone cancer and who was there at the game against Ohio State I just happened to be chopping onions Matt you don't have to tell the world I was crying (laughs) man that was like you know I'm a sucker you know Tom Rinaldi gets me every time man and I hate to admit it but good grief that 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 game we're gonna start our deep roots with what was the biggest upset of the weekend? Purdue? You know, dare I say that's why the it, it, Josh has this been the biggest upset of the year? Purdue over Ohio State? Yeah, probably. I mean, second ranked team going down. The only other to an unranked team, it's an unranked three or three team. Yeah, I think all the other top five teams to have lost. Uh, I mean, Georgia I, lost at LSU. I mean, yeah, I mean, all the other top. All the other top five teams, top five to ten teams to lose. Of I think that I think the only thing that's close is probably Wisconsin losing to BYU when they were number five. Yeah, I know. I know the season hasn't panned out as much as they would have expected, but Virginia Tech lose whole Dominion's also. That's true. That's true. I forgot about that. Um, but so it's on the short list for uh, biggest upset of the season. Anyhow, it probably has the biggest implications for the playoffs. Oh, with want to measure a play, uh, an upset that way without a doubt. So Ohio state went into West Lafayette and didn't just lose. They got walloped by Purdue. So Josh, you're our big 10 guy. There's a lot of places we could start with this one, but I want to get the obvious out of the way. First Rondell Moore is a stud. Yeah. And it, he's got blazing speed and, so I mean, he like he looks like freaking Tyreek Hill out there. Like, yeah, that is the only comparison I can make. He's yeah. co- he's college as Tyreek Hill for anyone. Yeah, who wants to and him. and look, he would have had a good day regardless. I'm not I'm not taking anything away from him. Uh, I'm just going to talk about Ohio State for why he was breaking off big play after big play, and uh, Ohio State undeniably talented. It's the Buckeyes. They just reload with five star kids. Sometimes when you have that much talent on the field, 
it's hard to get them to play as a team. And what I see Ohio State doing is playing 11 dudes who are playing hero ball. And as a result, you have guys overcommitting to plays. You guys have you have guys losing contain. You have guys rushing to the line and getting washed out by blocks. And so Ron Moore would catch it and if Ohio State had maintained sound offensive mind, it still could have been broken off for a really big play, but more than likely it would have been like a six, seven, eight yard pass play. What Ohio State was doing was over pursuing, over committing to certain plays, getting washed down on quick slants and quick screens and things like that. And it was allowing one of the fastest guys in all of college football to turn a six, seven, eight yard play into a 16, 17, 20 and beyond yard play. And it was happening over and over. You saw DJ Knox put up 128 rushing yards. Um, So it's just Purdue really has two legit stars, Knox and Moore, and they have a really savvy quarterback in Blau who knows how to get them the ball. And they've got a good enough offensive line to take advantage of Ohio State just playing out of position. And and the Buckeyes could never – Never figure that out. And they've been giving up big plays all season long, and it's been a lot of the same stuff. It's been 11-man hero ball, not really playing as a cohesive unit. Um, And so that was the defensive issue. Offensively, it's pretty obvious. The Buckeyes can't run the ball effectively, and and we saw that in the red zone with them getting scared, passing a lot in the red zone. Uh, Purdue has a a nice back end to their defense, and so when you – create such a short field that just favors Purdue, you know, (laughs) defensively what they want to do. So it was the perfect storm of a team that doesn't play sound defensive fundamentals going against one of the few teams in the league that can match them for speed with Knox and Moore and hats off to Purdue. Amazing. Amazing. Coach, we've seen this from Ohio State, you know, it seems like every year they have the one game where during the regular season where they just seemingly give up 40-plus to a middle-of-the-road team. This year was Purdue. Last year was Iowa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. We, we won the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. If that's middle-of-the-road. Over who? Pitt? I feel like Pitt's in the Pinstripe Bowl every year. Uh, no, it's the second team that's always in the Pinstripe Bowl is Boston College. Oh, my bad, my bad. But coach, like, but, but coach, think thinking about the bigger picture, like why? What is it about? Is Ohio State just getting complacent in the middle of the season? They see, oh, you know, we're the only you know undefeated team left in the Big Ten. Like, what? Why does this seem to happen to this team all, every single year? Well, it's a different story every single year. Like this year, I think it's they are exhausted almost. Like between the Urban Meyer stuff that happened during preseason. The the Nick, Nick Bosa, Bosa stuff, the Nick Bosa stuff, um, and then just Dwayne Haskins just skating by early in the season. His turnover issues, his accuracy issues, things like that weren't necessarily a big problem. They've come to a head now. Um, the fundamentals of slack. They probably just haven't. I don't know. It just seems like they haven't really worked fundamentals. It just 
I don't know. They they took Purdue lightly. They said, "Oh, we can just roll out there and beat Purdue." Purdue is they're not that great. Um, you know, we're just trying to get by, and you know, I, I think they just had too many distractions. And I think that Purdue, that Ohio State has gotten away from some of the stuff that's made them successful in the past. Josh, why on earth is Dwayne Haskins throwing the ball seventy three times? They're just not run blocking particularly well, and for whatever reason, some of their talented backs are struggling to find what few holes are produced. And uh, they just haven't been able to run the ball very well the last few weeks. And their defense is so flat. I just watched uh, Knox break off that 42-yard touchdown run. There was like the defenders weren't fighting off blocks. Safeties were out of position. And, you know, I see a lot of Ohio State guys seemingly going for the big hit instead of wrapping up as well. Not just Ohio State guys. Well, a lot, a lot of guys in everywhere. Con- but In the context of this discussion, yeah, that infuriates me. Yeah. I think that gets to some of the ideas of just 11-man hero ball that I was talking about. But another thing that's, that's very bizarre about Ohio State's defense is um, I think Urban Meyer and his staff has identified – Penn State as their biggest threat the last few years. Mm-hmm. Defense is rightfully really, so, though. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Um, and their defense has been really, really well constructed to stop Penn State's deep ball threat because that's one of the things Trace McSorley does really well mm-hmm. is stretch defenses. So they have a nice back end in terms of speed, covering the big play, getting rid of that type of play. But what's tripped them up the last few years, Io having tight ends going across the seam. Ohio State did not have good enough linebackers for pass coverage. Then this year, Purdue spread you out almost – Purdue at times almost looks like one of those vintage Chip Kelly Oregon teams where they're spreading you really wide, you're doing a quick hit, you know, Blau racked up the passing yards, but how many times did he throw it 15, 20, 30 yards down the field? Like less, you know, less than five probably. Yeah, and I think that just that did not play to Ohio State's strength. Ohio State is used to, okay, we got to stop Trace McSorley in the deep ball, and then we're not as good necessarily in space tackling a speedster. So mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of bizarre that Ohio State's defense – uh, has been constructed in one way that then totally kind of leaves them out of whack for another type of scheme. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've now talked about Cincinnati and Ohio State losing. The third undefeated team to lose this weekend was NC State. It was billed as probably the best regular season ACC matchup, but this was a complete one-sided affair. Clemson absolutely gave NC State a good old-fashioned butt-whooping. Coach, what surprised you more in this one? The fact that NC State seemingly couldn't get any offense going or that the Tigers' offense seemed to move the ball so easily against the Wolfpack? Well, definitely the NC State offense couldn't get anything going because Ryan Finley's uh, an extremely talented veteran quarterback, and he has had success against this Clemson defense before uh, as far as moving the ball and scoring points, not necessarily wins and losses. But um, you knew this Clemson offense was going to get rolling at some point. You knew – you know that Trevor Lawrence, as good as he is, as talented as he is, uh, the things that he can do with his arm, you knew it was going to happen at some point. Travis Etienne, you knew 
what he brings to the table. You knew it was going to click. All right. But for, for NC State, they just, they couldn't find a rhythm. They just, they just kept tripping all over themselves. They couldn't, I mean, they just, they couldn't do anything, you know, uh, they had interceptions. They threw interceptions. They just couldn't couldn't block a soul. They couldn't they couldn't give Finley time to throw. Um, and they just I don't know. They just they were way 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 out of sync. And it was it, that was the most surprising. Um, they were two of twelve on third down. That's a killer. Uh, Let's see. Let's look at some of these team stats. They were uh, 193 through the air, 104 rushing. Uh, they held the ball more, which is even more disheartening. They didn't have a ton of penalties, but they turned it over three times. They they also they also coughed one up. So, I mean, just the fact that you know Clemson's defense just had their way. They the defensive line just just wreaked all sorts of havoc. They were living in the backfield. They were pressuring. Finley, when they weren't sacking him, they were they were hurrying him. They were doing all sorts of stuff, man. It was it was crazy. I, I haven't seen that, that's the first complete game that Clemson has put together. Yeah, Josh, uh, you know what was your biggest takeaway from this one? Well, whenever you pull off an upset, you either need to produce some big plays defensively, get a takeaway, score maybe even a defensive touchdown. Uh, included in that. Something goes your way, special teams-wise, that didn't go NC State's way. Or you can just score a whole bunch of points, have an offensive explosion. That didn't go NC State's way. And I think a lot of the reason why their offense could not get popping is Coach mentioned the breakdown of the offensive line. This is one of the few times we've seen Finley uh, genuinely attacked. But uh, the other thing that I kept noticing – Lots of drops and really poorly timed drops. There was one just beautiful deep ball by Finley that was a surefire touchdown. Kid just dropped it. And I think NC State just played really, really tight as a result. I think they knew that they needed to have an absolutely flawless performance on either offense or defense. And then whichever side wasn't flawless still needs to have a B-plus, A-minus type game. So they needed to be at their absolute best. And I think they just came out super tight, especially offensively, and the drops point to that. Yeah, you know, just not a great showing for NC State. And, you know, that's got to be, you know, pretty big disappointment that they came out and laid a dud. And I'm just interested to see how Dave Doran is able to sort of rally the troops behind him going forward because, I mean, they can still, you know, end the season at 10-1. Uh, and one. Their game against West Virginia was – hurricaned out early in the year so they're only going to have 11 regular season games but you know they can still salvage you know a pretty good season even potentially you know a new year's six bowl berth but it's going to be pretty hard to overcome such a devastating loss like that well the craziest thing though that you can actually point to is clemson does have a tougher schedule and i know the odds of this happening are insanely low but Florida State's playing a little bit better. That game's in Tallahassee, maybe a a whiff of an upset potential. Mm -hmm. At Boston College, BC, we've said it, they are the team probably most equipped to potentially knock them off. And Clemson has struggled in the past. They've had hiccups the last few years, losing to 
uh, Pittsburgh, was into Syracuse. So NC State, if they take advantage of their easier schedule, they might they might get super lucky. Maybe Clemson, we know they're thin at quarterback with Kelly Bryant. Maybe an injury happens. So if I'm Dave Doran, I think it's pretty easy to sell. We got to keep playing and keep winning. Yeah. All right, let's head over to the SEC. Top game of the weekend in that conference ended up being a bit of a snoozer. LSU defended their home turf to the tune of 19-3 to against Mississippi State. Uh, Coach, what's going on with this Bulldog offense, man? Why is Nick Fitzgerald throwing the ball 24 times in, in the game when he has not done very well through the air this year? And they were actually finding some decent success on the ground. I mean, they were averaging better than five yards a carry. Well, that, a lot of it uh... – Saturday night had to do with LSU's defense. They were, uh, they were just completely stingy against the run. Uh, they didn't, they didn't allow uh, Nick Fitzgerald or um, Kylan Moore to do anything um, on the ground and forced them to be one-dimensional. And um, in Baton Rouge, if you're one-dimensional, Georgia showed showed you that blueprint. They showed you what was going to happen if you're one-dimensional there. Um, they they actually, surprisingly, uh, I, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll steal a turn for baseball here. They rushed for 201 yards, uh, but it was scattered over four quarters. They averaged 5.4 yards a, a carry. Um, it, it didn't appear that they got all those yards, though. I mean, they, they racked up, what what was it, 260 total yards. They couldn't do diddly poo through the air. Um, Delpit was all over the place in the in the backfield, the the – the defensive front was all over Fitzgerald anytime he threw. They just they couldn't like NC State. They racked up all these yards on the ground, uh, surprisingly, but they they couldn't get hardly anything going um, otherwise. And it was pretty crazy actually. And uh, you know they they turned it over four times. You know you can't can't do that, um, especially on the road. And uh, really. Honestly, the story really from this game is LSU gets four turnovers, right? They get they get the bump in time of possession. How are they not? They can't seem to put the ball in the end zone. It was death by field goal uh, for the most part. It was uh, seven, three, six, three. I mean, it's just field goal after field goal after field goal. And it, at some point, mainly next week, uh, when they play, or the week after next, they're on a bye, I think, this week. But uh, next week when they play Alabama, these lack of touchdowns are going to come back and bite you square in the rear end. So um, I'm more concerned, honestly, with LSU. Uh, Mississippi State is – they're they're kind of what we thought they were. They're just kind of all over the place. And Are they what uh, we thought they were, though? Because we thought Joe Moore had a you know, pretty good offensive mind, man. Their I thought not showed up. In- I, I thought they'd be all over the place, personally. Uh, and if you go back and listen to our previews, I thought they were going to be decent. They're going to be a roller coaster. They're going to be up some. They're going to be down some. They're going to be, you know, whatever. Um, now, I, I guess you guys drink the Kool-Aid a little bit on that one, but – you know, I, I kind of just saw, you know, if if you don't have a good running game or if you have a uh, a running game that is somewhat effective but one dimensional, you can't really you can't really do much. And this team just kind of showed what 
what I thought they were, which was wildly inconsistent. Yeah, Josh, um, you know, looking forward, I, I think, because from this game, I don't think there's a whole lot to take away from it. But you think LSU can, you know, turn the defense up against Alabama in a couple of weeks? No. All right, fair enough. Well, I do want to. I do want to rag on Mississippi State more. By all means. All right. So I think this is why people were buying the Kool Aid coach, and I. I didn't. I, I wasn't in line on that one. Well, I think I think Matt drank the most. Coach, you drank the least. Yeah, that's and, not a surprise. And uh, I sampled it, and I could see why some people liked it, and that's because uh, Fitzgerald put up. Decent numbers for a super mobile quarterback, and uh, his numbers from 16 to 17 actually improved. But he's just fallen way off as a passer. He's down to under 47% completion. He's got just four TDs to seven interceptions. He's fallen apart. And here's the thing. And Moorhead had a great running back. He knows to run the ball, and yet, for some reason, he refuses to do it. And I would be super pissed if I'm Kalen Hill. He, in their losses against Kentucky, he had four carries. In the loss against Florida, nine carries. And in the loss against LSU, eight carries. In Mississippi State's two most impressive victories of the year – at Kansas State, 17 carries for 211. Against Auburn, 23 carries for a buck 26. He's averaging 6.8 yards a carry. And against LSU, on those eight carries, he put up 42 yards for a 5.3 average. Get this guy the freaking ball or let him transfer because, Moorhead, you are wasting a true sophomore running back who is really talented. I don't yeah. get it. Yeah, I, I think on Raw Town alone, he might be one of the you know five or six best backs in the conference. You know, once you take out, you know, obviously Benny Snell, um, you know, the plethora of backs that are at Georgia and and Alabama. But I mean, he's a heck of a back. I it's beyond me why he is not touching the ball more. It makes no sense. Well, all right. Well, let's head back to the Big Ten. In the battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, the Wolverines stepped all over Little Brother in Spartan Stadium. They held Michigan State to 94 total yards. And get this, 0 for 12 on third down conversions. Josh, was this more of a testament to how good Michigan's defense is or how inept Michigan State's offense is? Well, Michigan State's offense, they've been struggling all year. So to go against a top-flight defense like Michigan's, it was going to take a lot of luck and a lot of moxie. And we saw that with the Philly special. Uh, the problem was Michigan State needed to produce some short fields to let their anemic offense do some work. And they did have two takeaways, but it just wasn't on the right side of the field for them to, to get a, a – you know, a gimme field goal, things like that. 0 for 12 on third down. You got to at least put one drive together, things like that. And um, I think part of the game, too, might have been that weather delay because Michigan State 
was so amped up. They did their Spartan walk. They do that all the time. That's nothing new. The Michigan players were deliberately being assholes and warming up on the wrong side of the 50 uh, to try and start something. I don't care what Harbaugh said. It was Michigan's fault for the little carfuffle. But Spartans do their Spartan walk. They're really fired up. And then just a few minutes into the game, there's a crazy long delay. There's like a two-hour weather delay. And I think that really favored the more talented team in Michigan and that they got to just kind of regroup, calm down, figure a few things out, probably watch a little bit of tape for the coaching staff, whereas Michigan State's probably thinking, oh, crap, this is, you know, this is our shot, and now we, we're just kind of sitting around waiting. And, and so the at the end of the day, the more talented team won, and any potential for the upset was snuffed out for a lot of things, chief among them an offense that's just been struggling all year. Yeah, Coach, you and I were uh, we, we were hanging out uh, on Saturday, and we talked about uh, Devin Bush and his uh, antics pregame. Uh, mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that? Oh, God. I, I thought it was very petulant of him. Uh, you know, so what that Michigan State comes – I thought it was kind of petulant of Michigan State to come barreling through your warm-ups too. Um, I, I didn't think Michigan State was necessarily in the right – in that scenario, but I mean, why throw a little three and a half year old temper tantrum in the middle of a field? Um, I don't know what purpose that served other than like, I'm going to disrespect your logo. I mean, I don't think it really like whoop de do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as, as Adam Sandler would say, <laughs> well, I mean, just just to I, I, kind of put some context, Coach, Michigan State's been doing that Spartan walk for about the last decade. They do it every game. Okay, It's nothing new. And like I said, the Michigan players were deliberately warming up the wrong side of the 50. So so that, that makes it even worse then on, oh. on Devin Bush's part. Yeah. Well, so, it's, it, it's funny on, on, uh, on ESPN and stuff. When they showed it during college game day, I think Herbie and Desmond were both like, oh, you're Michigan. You should be better than this. Here's the thing about Michigan. They have never not been better than this. They just complain about every no call. They get every potential BS call since Bo schembechler has been there. They spray paint Michigan State's statue. Granted, Michigan State spray paints parts of Michigan campus, but they, you know they just this is just Michigan. It's what they've been, and uh, you know they did the Heisman pose. They couldn't even get the pose right. It pisses me off. It's ruined <laughs> like high school kids doing the Heisman pose since. This is just Michigan being Michigan, and they are in the select group of Ohio State. Notre Dame, a few others where they get away with it. And because they win so much, everyone just says, well, Michigan's a blue blood, blah, blah, blah. They've been assholes since about 1902. And this is just what Michigan's always been. Hmm. Yeah. So there you have it. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move to the final game that we're going to talk about for this week. It's not like any of us root for the, uh, (laughs) the scrappy team, Georgia, 
competing with Alabama, <laughs> Wisconsin and Iowa having to deal with Sparty's run, Michigan's run. Ohio, oh, I mean, Ohio State. Georgia, Georgia has their own share of stuff that, that happens with Georgia Tech. Um, <laughs> I mean, every school deals with, like, quote, rivalry stuff, like spray-painting each other's campus, you know, woofing at at midfield, like Florida, Florida State doing. I mean, you know, that kind of stuff is to be expected, you know. But doing what Devin Bush did, come on, man. Yeah. Whether or not you're Michigan, Ohio State, Florida, whoever you think that the biggest a-hole fans are or a-hole programs are, come on, man, you got to be better than that. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you two schools that are the most little brother of little brother schools because that's what Michigan fans like to call Michigan State. Georgia, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech might be on that list. I don't know them well enough, but just think about the Big Ten. Yeah, just trust me. Just think about the Big Ten. On every kickoff, no matter the score, no matter anything, Purdue fans go, oh, and the ball gets hit and they yell out, IU sucks. You're not even playing them. Like, if you're thinking about Indiana against Ohio State, like, what are you doing? And then Minnesota has a cheer that goes, who hates Iowa? We hate Iowa. Who hates Iowa? We hate Iowa. Uh, they do it every game. All right. They'll, they will do it against Wisconsin during Paul Bunyan's axe. All right. How, how does this? All right. How does this stack up? All right. So let's let's uh, let's rewind back to 2007. <laughs> Georgia, Georgia Tech, Bobby Dodd Stadium, Atlanta. All right. Georgia is. In a tie for first place in the SEC East with Tennessee, and they need Kentucky, who actually was ranked like in the top five at one point that season. They need Kentucky to beat Tennessee to send Georgia. All right, you with me? Mm-hmm. All right. So we beat the holy, you know what, out of Georgia Tech, right? On their turf. So we take care of our business. Now, at the same time, the Kentucky-Tennessee game is going on. And so you see Georgia fans looking up into the uh, luxury suites where people are watching the game. And um, Tennessee wins in, like, double overtime. So what do the Tech fans start singing as they walk out? Rocky Top. (laughs) (laughs) They start singing Rocky Top. I mean... That's actually kind of funny. I'm not going to. It's kind of funny. funny. It's kind of funny, but they just got their. I mean, like, I think that's an isolated. I'm going to give that a pass. What I'm not going to give a pass is when Wisconsin's up like 50 to 10 and Minnesota fans are chanting, who hates Iowa? We hate Iowa. Okay. I'll I'll allow that. But I, I just thought it was funny. It's like. It made me think of the the kid that um, is being pulled away from a fight. His face is just all beat to <laughs> what, and he's still yelling at the kid, like talking talking smack. It, yeah. It's it's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Well, finally, the big game of the Pac-12 this weekend did not disappoint. Washington State came out on fire after game day was in, up in the Palouse with a 27 to nothing halftime lead. Ended up hanging on to win 34 to 20. 
I think that this Oregon team is probably still a year away from being a true contender, especially if Justin Herbert sticks around for another year. But they showed a lot of mocks in the second half. But, Josh, uh, looks like the Apple Cup is going to decide the Pac-12 North champion at this point. Ooh, not so fast, my friend. There's a certain team that I picked. Would that be the The Stanford Cardinal? Stanford Cardinal. They have yet to play any of these top teams but Oregon. And they beat Oregon. And and although it wasn't the prettiest game. They still beat Oregon. That that is true. That is Um, true. But, yeah, uh, barring Bryce Love getting healthy and and Stanford figuring a few things out, it it does seem that Washington and Washington State are a cut above this year in the Pac-12 North. And you mentioned that comeback. Uh, Don't want to, you know, not talk about Washington State, but but it's worth mentioning. This this Oregon team, 27-0, everything going wrong. On the road, I think you see a lot of teams pack it in. Um, but, but Mario Cristobal has those kids buying in. Uh, they nearly came back. Uh, that was really, really impressive. Uh, so Oregon, hard luck day. Sometimes that happens after emotional, you know, huge win just a week ago against those Huskies. So uh, that can be rough to try and get up for another tough game. But uh, – but yeah, Washington State, and who would have guessed that to turn this ship around and and have his best team there, and and have probably one of his best teams of his career, that all the pirate had to do was do um, it, it's this weird thing, it's this standest thing, it's called defense, oh. and it, it's just been, you know, we see it with some of these coaches where they have great offenses, and we're just like, what are you doing? Like, why do you not? give a crap about defense. Well, Texas Tech's finally playing a little bit better. Coach GQ has them playing defense. Washington State playing a whole hell of a lot better. And they have an outstanding defensive coordinator in Tracy Clay. It's very glad he's out of the Big Ten. That guy knows defense. Um, underrated head coach, but one hell of a defensive coordinator. He's worked wonders. And this is what's going to help Washington State at out it's it's finally playing some defense and not needing to win every game 55 49 they can finally actually pitch a shutout in the first half they can finally get that key defensive stop when things are going wrong in the second half it's totally changed it hats off to the pirate for identifying it you know in about his 18th year as a head coach but he finally figured it out all right coach (laughs) Um, how, how'd you feel about this one? I loved it. Uh, I especially loved when, uh, when, uh, they call him Booby Williams. Uh, I loved it when he scored on what Mike Leach calls the big gulp formation. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> that play was ridiculous. He broke seven tackles simultaneously <laughs> to score and Mario Cristobal blew a gasket. It was it was awesome. Um, I don't Gardner blame him. I don't blame him on that. Oh yeah, and Gardner Minshew is extremely fun to watch. Uh, this Washington State offense is extremely fun to watch. Um, between the Pirate and Lincoln Riley, those are my two biggest inspirations as far as how I uh, develop my offensive scheme. 
And so obviously I got a lot more out of it than the average fan. Um, I saw them run a screenplay that I, that I love to run. That's gotten me so much, so many, or so many yards. And also uh, on the flip side, got me one of the most ridiculous pick sixes by a dude wearing it by a fat dude wearing a cast. Um, so uh, also just um, the atmosphere was incredible. Game day was incredible. The Palouse was on fire. Um, and of course, seeing Washington State play some defense, that was amazing. You saw them tackle. You saw them hold Oregon to 328 yards, which if you hold Oregon to 328 yards in the Pac-12 and you're Washington State, you're celebrating. And usually your score is going to reflect that in this conference, and it, and it did. Um, they held the ball a lot longer. Um, even though Washington, Washington State was able to survive two turnovers, and uh, they were 9 of 14 on third down, uh, Oregon was just five of sixteen, not so good on third down. Um, so uh, just just a complete dismantling of what I considered a top ten team. They weren't; they were just on the fringe of that. But I considered them a top ten team and a favorite to win the Pac twelve at that point. But heck, you don't know now. I mean, let's just say that uh, conventional wisdom is going to tell me that. Uh, Stanford will probably end up the divisional champs, um, but I'm hitching my wagon to the in the Palouse. If I haven't if if I haven't already, I'm I'm I'm, I'm hitching my wagon to uh, or actually I'm uh, I'm docking with the pirate. I should say. I like that. I like that uh, a lot. I'm docking with the pirate on this one. I'm adopting Wazoo as my West Coast team. <laughs> Well, you know what's going to be a uh, a sexy matchup, gents. Mm. Next Saturday, this team we've been waxing poetically about, Wazoo Rutgers, they head to the farm. Ooh, that is definitely going to be in our deep yeah. roots uh, later this week. And then a week after that, Stanford heads up to Seattle. So Stanford either will be in the driver's seat. Or on a slab and have the having their title hopes dashed in, over these next two weeks. So that Apple Cup will come into real clear focus here at the end of October and into November. Yeah, it, it definitely will. Well, we'll have a lot to talk about for this coming weekend. We've got we've got that game that Josh just mentioned. We've got the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Ooh. We've got Iowa, Penn State, South Florida, Houston. A uh, sneaky game for Washington there at Cal. Uh, we've got uh, NC State at Syracuse, which I'm actually very intrigued by. Uh, uh, and a uh, good one in the Sun Belt. App State and Georgia Southern are going to be playing Thursday night. So going to be a huge one. Yeah, that's really fun. Yeah, so we'll be talking about all those games and more a little bit later this week. So let's uh, just anything else, Josh. Uh, I think that's going to just about do it for us tonight. Well, we were burying the lead. One of the best wins. Of, yeah, one of the best wins of the week. Arkansas pitches the shutout, 23 nothing. Takes. I did my, I did my SEC uh, wrap around, and you let me bury the lead, John. Yeah, sorry about that. They, they took it fault, to man. the Golden Hurricanes. They couldn't get anything going. 
Tulsa ended with uh, just uh, 260 yards. Uh, the pass defense for the Hogs played much, much better. That was the difference maker. And Arkansas, look, they got Vanderbilt next. Vanderbilt, they can't win a league game. That's going to be cakewalk. They have at Mississippi State. We've chronicled their struggles. They end with at Missouri. The way this pass defense is on fire, I expect them to lock down Drew Locke. They host LSU. Even if they can't get that upset, you really have to like their chances of going to a bowl game at 5-7 and seven because Ole Miss doesn't get to go to a bowl game this year. So the Cure Bowl in Orlando is going to get to enjoy Arkansas. All right. Coach, final words from you. I don't know that I can top that. So All right. Well, then. Let's not even try. So that's going to do it for us tonight here on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois, this is a professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. We hope you have a Purdue type of day and not an Ohio State type of day. You know it. Per day. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.